podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. My conversation today is with Aidan Dunnigan Vickrock about tango dance, sexuality, and spirituality. Aidan writes about tango dance as an excellent practice for relational dynamics. The idea is to relate what we express and experience on the dance floor to our life relationships. In fact, dancing tango can be translated into how we live, move, and relate both on and off the dance floor. Aidan Danigan Vickrock is an author, blogger, and mental health social worker. He's a former Lutheran minister with a master's degree in theology. Aidan has been tango dancing for 15 years, and he's the author of the book Trauma to Tango, Dancing Through the Shadows of Sexual Abuse. He is a weekly blogger who explores the connection between mental and relational health, relational dynamics, and dancing tango. Here is the interview with Aidan Danigan Vickrock. In your own words, who is Aidan Dunnigan Vickrock? <laughs> it's a big question, I suppose. Um, 65 years old, live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, social worker, currently married. Uh, I've inherited uh, half a dozen kids and 16 grand, 18 grandkids now, current count. Uh, and added two kids of my own, so we're quite a quite an extended family, and we all live here in the same city, so that's really quite fabulous. And uh, yeah, keeps keeps us very busy, keeps us engaged, <laughs> keeps us uh, uh, doing all sorts of things we might not do, I suppose, if we were weren't as connected as we are. But that's my fun, and then I. I also dance and I write about dancing and I think about dancing and I make it a spiritual practice. That's my focus is to try to is is to um, understand it from a kind of a deep human relating 
relational standpoint as well as uh, connecting to spirit, connecting to God and uh, divine elements, I suppose. So there we go. That's uh, that's a brief thing. We love the outdoors. We canoe, we hike, we cycle. It sounds great. Really great. Thank you. What is your personal experience with trauma and how has this changed your life? I... Uh, personal experience, I mean, it's a, been a long uh, journey, Valerie, and uh, it, it, it started uh, coming real to me uh, midlife, basically. Uh, up until then, I had uh, been coping with trauma, uh, but never realizing that was, in fact, what I was doing. I had a lot of defense mechanisms that protected me from my past and uh, my own uh, sense of how to protect myself from from repeating or revisiting such uh, situations, but I, I really had no insight into why I was uh, living, making those choices that I was. They, they were actually very uh, self-limiting choices. I um, I resisted uh, being physically present. I resisted being in passion and resisted pleasure. I immersed myself in the life of the church. I was a pastor. I took on a lot of really rigorous, quote-unquote, spiritual disciplines, all in a way to protect me from my own self and protect me from my past. And what surfaced, though, midlife was uh, some um, triggers or some revisiting of uh, traumatic uh, incidents. I would, uh, some were actual memories of being sexually abused as a child, but mostly uh, they were uh, physical reactions where I would uh, just uh, in the middle of the day, even maybe uh, something would hit me in my gut. And uh, if I was fortunate, fortunate enough to be home, I could just curl up in the bed and I would probably lay there and rock myself uh, for two, three, four hours at a time and uh, until I could uh, get out of bed, rouse myself. And then for the next day or two, I would still be uh, pretty uh, paralyzed, uh, immobilized almost. So those kept uh, happening. Um, I mean, not uh, maybe once or twice a month. And uh, so I started into therapy seriously. I started also to journal and to write uh, as a way of exploring what getting underneath what had happened and what was going on with me in the present. And uh, so over a course of about, um, I would say 15 years, maybe I unearthed uh, a whole lot of uh, what was, what was in my body, what was in my past, what was in my memory and, and processed it. And um, yeah, I feel, you know, 98% free of it at this point, and uh, the rest of it is uh, kind of good learning that I hold on to. Was that now? Was that what your whole question you asked? Did you ask dance on the end of that too as well? Uh, before you answered that second mm -hmm. question, I mm -hmm. asked as one: How long did you protect yourself from yourself? It's a. It's a. I'll have to give a convoluted answer because. The the odd thing is, I think the generally the choices we make to protect ourselves are, are really misguided because uh, 
maybe we don't understand really what the situation is. That was certainly my experience. So I was afraid of life in a lot of ways and so made choices that protected me from being alive, from being fully engaged, from, um, if I want to get really specific, um, not wanting to have a healthy sex sexual relationship, for example, because I was afraid of sex from my my childhood experience, of course, from the examples that I had seen and, and from what I had lived. So um, I married, but I married not in love. I married uh, to protect myself from from being in love. Uh, you know, a lot of those kind of really life-denying defi- life, uh, choices. Going to, the, going to church was, again, a protection that I needed at the time uh, because I, I just couldn't make any sense of what it meant to be a um, vibrant human being. So I thought, well, I'll cloister myself. I will commit myself to praying. I will commit myself to ascetic lifestyle, denying the flesh, pleasures of the flesh, that sort of thing. So I, I, that's the way I lived uh to the best of my ability for a long time until eventually the life urge and surge and energy surfaced anyway and uh, i caught up with me let's put it that way and then i had then i eventually had to deal with you know real life uh, real uh, blood throwing through the veins that sort of thing right what kind of therapy have you done well, I, I'll, most of it talk therapy. Um, in, in the uh, kind of traditional sense, then there was uh, some body-based therapy uh, that followed along uh, Stephen Levine and uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk and and those types of teachers. Uh, trauma trauma-related therapy, and then. Uh, a huge one was entering into love relationships, which was with my children. Of course, that wasn't uh, physically intimate in that way. But then um, meeting my uh, life partner after that, and and you know just uh, experiencing what it meant to be in a and actively engaged in a loving relationship with passion and pleasure, and so that was huge. And then the final piece was tango. <clears throat> Which leads me to that question, the original question. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. So how do how do tango have to do? So I came uh, first of all, dance is not part of my background. Um, part of that's cultural. Um, part of it was uh, again uh, religion based, which from my tradition preached against the pleasures of the flesh. So, flesh, so if it felt good, it must be bad, <laughs> and and. Uh, getting close to a woman's body could only lead to bad things because uh, it felt good and it was going to end up sexual and and such. So, uh, and not only that, just the kind of primal connection with being in your body and feeling how how that moves and interacts, that was really suspect itself. So, I mean, a really... uh, limited, uh, if if not demented, view of life. But nonetheless, uh, that's what I was clinging to at the time. So when um, Patricia and I 
in our anniversary, were attracted to the representation of tango that we'd seen. And we thought, well, that, that would be fun for our relationship. So we started dancing. Now, of course, the tango being a close body dance, uh, yet just raised so many red flags, pushed so many buttons for me, being pressed up against a, a woman's body was uh, horrifying in a lot of ways. But it helped me, it helped bring to the surface that uh, scripting and that those negative impressions that were left with me from childhood and redo them, rework them, rescript them, understand them in an entirely different way so that at this point in time, I can experience that close physical contact as, as being very healing, very nurturing, very invigorating, just plain feels good. And it doesn't mean bad things. It doesn't mean that I'm you know, that I'm going to um, go home with my dance partner, um, unless it's my wife, of course, or um, take advantage of a situation, or even just plain interpret interpreted it sexually. It means that I can just experience pleasure as pleasure, contact and touch for what is it is intended to be, and uh, that's. That's a deeply nourishing. So what I've what I've experienced over the last several years is rewriting my own script of who I understand myself to be as a man, uh, as somebody with integrity, with uh, personal presence, uh, and not the models that I grew up with, which were. Um, uh, perverted, basically. I mean, models of taking advantage of situations, being close to a woman meant groping, grabbing, um, fantasizing, or, you know, some other distorted uh, perspective. You said something very interesting to me uh, when I asked you about therapy. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, the connection with your wife. That makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense to me. I think real, genuine relationships, they have the power to change us. The other thing about what you just said, that you didn't know how to create that separation or the boundary between yeah. touching and having fantasies, mm -hmm. acting mm -hmm. in a perverted way. This is very difficult for yeah. most people, I would say, especially men. But what would you say to men out there that still have this problem? Yeah. So, first of all, I, ask, I thank you for asking these questions. Secondly, as I answer them, uh, I'm tr I'm I'm not pulling any punches. So, I mean, I'm I'm getting um, uh, I'm talking in a way that would embarrass me if I was talking like this in a social context, for example. So, I mean, I'm giving you the real, yeah. Um, but. This isn't true for all men, but it was certainly true in my background, and it's certainly true for a large percentage of our population, and it's certainly popularized in our, uh, you know, in the media and public. I, my perspective is that uh, most men do not know how to be physically intimate without it involving sex or being a power struggle. Uh, taking advantage of a situation, objectifying the person we're with, and uh, having all our emotions processed through our groin, basically. Uh, that's 
my experience was that anytime I had an emotion or a feeling that was uh, soft, sensitive, uh, delicate, intimate, I would all, I would immediately redirect it to my groin, figure out how I was going to uh, act out sexually, because that that became the my strategy for for getting rid of these uncomfortable feelings because I didn't know what to do with them. And uh, they, they, were, they, they made me afraid, certainly, for a couple of reasons. One is, I, when I was married, I didn't want to be screwing around on my wife. That was a choice that I was making. But secondly, I didn't want to reenact the patterns of abuse that I had seen witnessed in my childhood, not all, not just to me, and not even, frankly, primarily to me, but to my um, uh, my female friend at the time, and and I I was just really afraid of repeating those same abusive practices. So I, you know, maybe I'd uh, I'd go into you know go into sexual fantasies on my own, for example, or I'd avoid those situations altogether. Uh, it was a very very uncomfortable, and I have spent. The last, uh, well, 10 years particularly, but maybe perhaps much longer than that, a very concerted focus on how to, how to learn how to be present in those uh, close, physical, intimate, sensitive, sensual situations and not sexualizing them. And it's damn tough work. I've, I, I work at it constantly and dance tango is certainly part of that and i will say that in the last few years maybe even more recently than that i've really felt that i've gotten over and past all that past scripting to the to the point where i'm really able to receive nurturing from those from that sort of contact and engagement without having to put a negative slant on it or uh, objectifying or fantasizing uh, attachment to it. I mean, that's that's in the past, and I can be very present in those situations. It's, it's very freeing. Uh, it's, it's very nurturing, very enlightening. And as I said, you know, I'm 65, first of all, so I've, I've, <laughs> I've lived most of my life, but I've also spent a hell of a lot of work on it and and with the hope that it's not only my work but it can be a bit of an example for or a model for for other men as well i believe that compassion the practice of compassion and um connecting mm. relating to the world and other people at that level it helps a lot it's hard to translate physical touch into sex when you have that kind of uh, attitude in life. Even thinking about other human beings, I think about suffering, that we are all suffering here at some level. Is there something wrong in interpreting touch from another human being as sexual? Well, uh, uh, no. I mean, it, it's wonderful, isn't it? Um, it? It all depends on the intent. So, uh, if it, it, it's only wrong and it's not even wrong so much. I mean, it's only wrong if we take advantage of the situation and act out on somebody. Then, then of course, it becomes uh, abusive. Yeah. But, but otherwise, what I want 
when I'm when I'm in contact with somebody is I want to really be able to understand what it means to be connected. So I mean, it's totally natural for me to uh, you know um, if I'm around attractive woman to certainly put a sensual garment on that. But 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 I mean, I could sexualize it too as well. But but it takes me out of the uh, specific meaning of that encounter. Right. It, it, just, yeah. it distracts me. And this is what I find. See, the, the, the common phrase has been that um, the penultimate is, is the enemy of the ultimate. In other words, we get almost there and we get distracted by something. And that's the real mischievous deceit about sex is I will. So, uh, I mean, you're a young, attractive, vibrant um, woman. If I were close to you and we were we were talking or uh, I don't know we were we were dancing or we were doing something holding hands or uh, embracing or whatever, I mean I could easily be uh, distracted to think, okay I want to go to bed with you, and when when and and if we both wanted to do that that would be fine of course, but I know from my own life situation and uh, history that that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the real person-to-person, heart-to-heart. And if you take it sexually, then that energy is dispersed, dispelled. It goes away, and I lose that moment. I lose that contact. And and what I found, what I'm really looking for 98% of the time, except when I'm basically with my wife, is I'm wanting that raw, open, heart-to-heart that doesn't get distracted by going into my groin and getting an erect, you know, thinking on that level. And there's nothing wrong with that except that it takes me out of that deeper, richer uh, connection. And that's that's been my experience. So for in dancing, for example, for many years I came home thinking, because uh, that I've come home with good feelings, I'm thinking, my God, I must be... Um, it must all be about sexual attraction. And it, it wasn't that that was a bad feeling. It's just that, wait a minute, it's not all about sexually Because I'm not attracted to two dozen people over the, sexually attracted over the course of an evening. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous, especially since, especially since most of these people are, are not sexually attractive. I mean, you're all shapes and sizes, all ages, all whatever. So what else is going on? And uh, that was really the question. I, I wanted to know what was, where was that nurturing coming from? And what I figured out uh, was, was that there's just this deep soul nurturing that comes from being physically close in a way in which there's no agenda. I don't have any needs that I have to act out in this situation. We can just be gentle and present with each other and the the specific gift of tango is that because of the way it stands you have to be so acutely attentive to your partner and where their body is their posture uh where they're moving what uh, so many different uh elements and they have to to you as well so i came home i would come home often uh think feeling guilty like thinking Holy shit! I really feel good. <laughs> I must have done something bad. <laughs> you know, I must be having a. You know, there's there's something. What's going on? It, it didn't seem to be. 
you know, when it, finally I got over the the issue of, whoa, a woman's rubbing her breasts against my chest, and and you know, thinking that was like a huge, uh, big deal. Got beyond that, I, I realized it's it's the experience of being listened and attended to, on a on a sensual, intimate level that just nurtured and invigorated me, and 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 that's what I think happens. For, I think it happens more instinctually for women because they, they have a broader range of what to do with feelings and emotions. I mean, there just doesn't everything doesn't have to end up in bed. I mean, you know, some of it, might, right. it doesn't all have to go there. But my socializing as a man was anything good ended up in bed. That that was how you how you dealt with things. And so I found a new way to, uh, and it's just far more enriching because I get to hang on to these feelings they stay with me they lead into the the next day or the next dance or the next person i encounter and i don't have to you know be over and done with it in the in the bed or in the bathroom or whatever i'm you know i'm however i'm going to process it <laughs> wow that is wonderful what do you say truly truly wonderful it seems like social dance has a lot to teach to humanity about uh, genuine connection. That's what I hear from you. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So I found, uh, I mean, when I was on the dance floor, anything, any of the my socializing patterns that I had relating to the opposite sex would surface. So it, was, it wasn't just about sexualizing uh, or sexual behavior. Uh, it was it was about uh, who's going to lead. And uh, all couples have that drama. Uh, I've been in other groups and where we focused on uh, you know, dance groups uh, focused on the relational dynamic, and couples will show up and and there'll be this argument about who's leading. And of course, the man uh, needs to initiate most things in tango, and then there'll be the argument, and he will be timid. Or he will be, uh, or the woman will be saying, his partner will be saying, well, you don't know what you're doing, or I'm used to leading, why can't, you know, just, and, or, anyway, there'll be this, this argument, right? Uh, what I brought to, um, to the dance floor, being an enlightened uh, 90s man or 60s man or whatever, was everything had to be consensual or agreed upon, or I could never exert my influence on the situation without it being potentially offensive to my partner. So I, I had a, a super weak lead. And uh, I mean, we couldn't dance basically is because I wouldn't take my responsibility. And I had to first realize that if we were going to dance, I had to step up and ex exert my self physically and take the steps and show the lead and be strong and my partner was going to have to accept that and and fall into that so i mean that for some people for a lot of men it would be the exact opposite and and we still i still run up against this regularly in our dance group where the men are domineering or overpowering and i even bump against some teachers that that have i've heard it said in our community, uh, if your partner isn't following your lead, you goddamn well make her. <laughs> oh, wow. 
And I suppose they don't have the the, uh, (laughs) curse words in, but that's, you know, so you move to this model. It's so totally unique where you come from my side, which is, Oh, I don't know. Should we should we do an ocho now, or you know maybe there's something else you want to do? You know maybe you want to turn this, yeah, way, this go, way, which of course is totally dysfunctional, to yeah. the, to a, the other extreme, which is I want you to move here, and if you're not moving there, I'm going to literally force you. Uh, you know I'm going to strong arm you uh, to the position that I want you in, uh, and, and until you get it, until you you're where I want you to be, and the whole dance is. Uh, is valued by whether or not you've done exactly as I've wanted you to. So those are two extremes. And then you find something in the middle where I've got an idea. I'm going to make this suggestion. I'm going to create this possibility. I'll give you some space. These are the parameters. You can't overstep the bounds, but you can do what you like in the middle. And and then it becomes this co-creative responding, playing off each other, which is is such an amazing thing of beauty. So rather than me not giving a, uh, my partner any structure at all, not or, or expecting her to do exactly what I want her to do, but saying, okay, now we're going to move to we're going to move uh, create this configuration. But within that, there's all these possibilities, and then she gets to play, and then I get to admire her creative beauty and the expression that she's bringing to the to this partnership and yeah. it's it's um it's, it, it thrills my heart uh to see that i mean it's like we're making a painting together and uh, you know i pick the colors and i hand her the paintbrush and i say we're going to work with this palette and then she'll play with some of the colors a little bit and then i'll maybe choose a different color and then she'll play with some more so it's that sort of um creative interaction uh, that goes on with as again to to be able to get to that place where you can have that that open free interaction is uh, it's a long journey right yeah that takes work and time so dance yeah. social dance and relationships real life relationships you suggest that the men should lead uh in the women play around that space created by the men yeah, now that's I think specifically the t- the um, the structure of tango. So it's not necessarily other dances. And in fact, typically my limited experience in dancing prior to that would be, uh, you know, kind of the woman takes charge and the guy hangs on and tries to keep up or whatever. I mean, that's just in in my because we never learned as guys to dance. That was a woman's thing, right? So it's kind of the flip for tango specifically, but the more you dance tango, it's initially presented as the man leads and the woman follows, or there's leads and follows. It doesn't have to be male and female, it can be, you know, it can be anything. But the more you dance, the less you experience it as a lead and follow. And the more you experience it as a cooperative or co-mingling energy. So, but I am aware, though, nonetheless, that my specific responsibility is to create structure, particularly at certain times. But that's so some uh, uh, one of the dynamics, for example, is uh, the lead. Well, I'll call it a man in this case, because I, I like to make the relation relational 
parallels. Or me as a man can at times uh, be have my weight between two feet solidly locked in position. And uh, chest as well. Maybe my chest moves a bit, but my arms are locked as well. And in that, when I give that solid firm structure, then my partner has a lot of freedom. She can play around that because she's got something to hold on to, basically. And uh, she could do a lot of decoration and, uh, and fancy things. And uh, on the other hand, my partner or the woman or the follow, however you want to put it, is never permitted to lock her feet, both feet, uh, share her weight equally on both feet at one time because that uh, it, uh, it locks the dance in place and then you're you're stuck basically so i mean uh, a rule for my partner is you know i don't really care what foot you have your weight on as long as it's only on one foot because then i can i can shift the structure in such a way so that it works but if your feet, your weight is equally distributed on both feet we're stuck and, you know, the dance is over until something mm-hmm. changes, you know. So, but that's tango, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you, you're, that would be a different experience for, you know, if you're doing salsa or rumba or, you know, whatever else. That's interesting. With tango, then the man creates this structure. The man is the one leading the, the creative movements. Okay. And not just the creative movements, but the foundation, right? Yeah, it's kind of the foundation. Now, there's, uh, uh, oh, I don't want to make cultural uh, generalization so much, but I mean, the the sense of male machismo in uh, Buenos Aires is, of course, very different than it is in the frozen north of Canada. <laughs> um, true. <laughs> you know, so, so, so it means it means different things, right? Um, but uh, I don't know where I was going with going with that. I just, I, from somebody, from somebody who just came back from Buenos Aires. I mean, I've been there lots myself, but I'm always as a man, of course. Um, a, a female partner who just came back said, "The men down there have a very clear idea of how they want you to dance, and you better be right on the money and do exactly what they want. Otherwise, uh, they ditch you." Mm-hmm, wow. And. Um, I thought, well, geez, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really <laughs> limiting, isn't it? Isn't it? Because uh, my big my thrill big... with the dance is to, to be surprised. Uh, you know, I set something up and what are you going to do with this? And then she does a spin or a kick or she comes back with a caress or a special foot. And I'm like, wow, thank <laughs> you. You know, what a, <laughs> what a, what a surprise. <laughs> but now I've set it up, but then she gets to... She gets to take it one step further and, and do something else, uh, some more embellishments with it. Um, yeah, that's what I find fun. So let's talk uh, spirituality. What is your definition of spirituality? A lot, I mean, I could give some classic ones, you know, like let's say being being lost or caught up in something bigger than yourself or getting a sense of the whole or, uh, you know, giving yourself over to love or something. Um, but I'm going to try and make it something really specific and personal because, I mean, you can read those anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, first of all, 
It's body-based. So I have to figure, I have to learn a way that I can, what, whatever connection I'm making with anything beyond myself has to engage me on a, on a body level. Uh, so, for example, I spent years in a seminary behind a desk reading books, studying, thinking, writing essays and such and whatever. And that, in terms of way I think right now, has nothing to do with spirituality. It's a mind game. It gets us uh, detached from where the action is and, and the actions in my body. Uh, sex is deeply spiritual um, because it's connecting me with another person on an intimate, vulnerable, uh, intensely pleasurable arena or, or um, engagement. Um, I think that's another place I've gone with my spirituality from uh, my, my previous um, church model. Uh, my church model taught me, or the focus at least, was how to deal with, uh, with the suffering and pain. But didn't have a clue about what to do with pleasure. In fact, basically demonized pleasure. And so my new, so the growth out of that has been to, to learn how to really indulge myself in uh, the nurturing, pleasurable, satisfying experiences in life, um, which dance is one, but I mean, um, Loving my wife, petting my dog, walking out in the sunshine, drinking a nice glass of wine, uh, all of that. And so, uh, again, that's a bit about mindfulness, being in the present, but it's, it's, it's um, delighting in the present. That might be my definition, is how to, uh, spirituality is how to delight in the present, how to immerse yourself, engage yourself fully in the present moment and, and enjoy it to its max. Yes, yeah. I like that, Aiden. Being present and enjoying um, the good, right? Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Do you mm-hmm. believe in God? Absolutely. As much as I am able. <laughs> um, in, in saying that, I mean that uh, belief is very difficult. So, um, for me to believe in God is, is to say yes to life, yes to the world, to, to not give in to despair, to hold on to hope, to say that um, this is all wrapped up in love despite what we see around us and despite how we, I'm uh, maybe tempted to, um, to get cynical or to despair or to hate. I, I, I say, wait a minute, I believe in God, I believe in purpose, in meaning in all things. I believe that this is moving forward uh, towards the light. Now, I say that from as, as faith talk. I mean, what I wrestle with on a gut level on a daily basis is, you know, we're all going to hell in a hand <laughs> handbasket. And, right. you know, what can anybody do about it? <laughs> what can, what can anybody do about right? it? I mean, yeah. there's that tension, right? So when I say I believe in God, I mean the best I can. It's it's a it's tough to believe in God. People often say that, oh yeah, that's just an escape. You're just you know trying to uh, pretend that there isn't bad stuff out there, or, or I don't know, not sure what they're saying, but um, it's tough to believe. 
in the positive, to believe in love, and to live it, to act it out. So, I mean, really, I mean, people say, are you a Christian? And I say, well, you know, I'd like to think of myself as a Christian, but I don't come anywhere close to the model that Jesus uh, represented. So, I mean, what does it mean for me to say I'm a Christian? If, I don't know. You know right. Um, <laughs> if I if I am a Christian, I'm I'm a, I'm a, a poor one, or you know, half half-hearted, or something. I don't know. I, I just I, I I work at it, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm only a little ways down right. the road. I like that what you said about bringing God to earth into our daily lives and just acting out love. So that leads to mm. my next question: What is your definition of love? Well, as I'm um, working on it these days, uh, it means to be uh, present with somebody with without agenda, interested. I mean, the things that I see that I admire about my wife, for example, uh, is her real deep interest in people. And... Um, the my my tendency as soon as something comes up for discussion is I want to give an answer, a definitive answer and resolve whatever it is. And her tendency is to ask somebody about, oh, what does what does that question mean? Just like we do now. What does that question mean to you? What does that definition mean to you? And I need her to co-host this podcast. I mean, she's. She's she's great at that. She's more interested in what somebody else thinks about it than saying what she thinks about it. And and I right. just think, well, that's right. fascinating. I really need to learn that. And uh, but but it, it's that you know, in terms of love, it's just being there with another person in that, and and not making it an opportunity for me to to me to uh, express my will or my brilliance or my you know own the situation. I don't have to own the situation. I can just be be there with the other person. So that, I mean, that would be one, that'd be a relational. I mean, I could talk about it in terms of, you know, what I do as a social worker or whatever, but um, that's what, I, that's the area that, that I'm interested in is, is how to just be in somebody else's presence with my whole being and accepting whatever they're bringing to that encounter as well. I really like that. Do you connect gratitude to love as well? I mean, yeah, I would. But I'm going to change, uh, for me, I'm just going to add something to that then, uh, a little bit. And um, to love is to move, it, it, so it's just the word object, that's all. Um, for me, to love is to be subject to subject. And the big, uh, you know, we were talking about the, the issues about sexuality and, uh, earlier on. It, it's, it objectifies, too often we're objectifying the other person in the sense that what can I get out of this or what do they mean for me or how's, how are they going to make me feel good? Um, and subject to subject, you're just there. You've, you've got no agenda and it's... Um, I, I don't know. Anyways, I just the, the the word object. I I play with that lots because I just find that uh, that's my tendency. I mean, it's so easy to to want to see things, uh, to objectify things, and see them in light of how are they going to make my life my life better or complement. And 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 love is beyond that. Love is just being present 
without, um, so I mean, yeah, I would be, I'm thankful for that uh, uh, encounter, but I might not be even thankful at the moment. I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of bit in awe or something. Maybe there's an awe. I would see awe uh, as as being more immediate to me than than gratitude. Uh, and, and that might be, you know, if I take it back to dance again, that's the first thing that hits me is uh, when I'm on the dance floor and, and something uh, unexpected happens or my partner shares in some way that's kind of enriching. And, and I'm just, my mouth drops. And I'm just this, oh. And then when I leave the dance floor, then I'm thankful and I thank them. And I think, oh, wow, that was fabulous. But my first experience was uh, <laughs> just this uh, uh, almost being caught off guard. I mean, it's just this wonder. Really, it's a sense of wonder, you know. Right. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I interpret that as a form of appreciation and gratitude. You just don't have those words. Yeah. and You don't thank them. Yeah. So I want right. to ask you the question about um, a question about self-love. What is self-love to you? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've come a long way with that. I mean, there was a time when I, you know, I would think that would be even uh, maybe wrong, you know, like uh, un, un, unhealthy, unreligious, whatever. But um, I am, I'm really thrilled at the uh, choices that I'm making for myself, the healthy choices uh, that come out of a space of uh, conviction uh, and it's um, or even intuition, even just kind of really soft, subtle uh, listening and 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 following that. So it was a, kind of what you were saying before uh, we started the interview when you were saying, um, oh, your approach to uh, fitness, you know, and meeting up with people or not meeting up with people or not starting groups, even though maybe some part of you might say, uh, you know, you should be, but another part of you is saying it just doesn't feel right right now. So just honoring those those little voices, respecting, um, giving time and space for myself. Uh, so it's an active thing. Let's let's put it that way. It's making choices and acting on those choices. So one a, a real concrete one was uh, and a big one was uh, when I decided to keep dancing even though um, it wasn't working for uh, my wife anymore because uh, physical limitations. And and that put a whole lot of stress on our relationship and, and it challenged me. It, it challenged my script of saying uh, I need to be, uh, I need to uh, be there for my wife at all times doing a good thing and if, and if it's, I'm doing something that's causing uh, conflict then I must be bad. I mean, you know, it would sound stupid for somebody outside listening to it, maybe, but, but that was a script that I had to work through, and uh, to to the point where I would say, no, this nurtures me, and it's important to me, and I have to make that choice, even though it's difficult and it costs something for myself. So that that was self love, uh, you know, and. Uh, that was that's an example. So uh, it's probably easier for me to talk about in terms of kind of concrete choices rather than uh, some kind of philosophical statement or something. Right. I understand that you are connecting self-love to self-knowledge. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, much. Yeah. Right. 
Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. This is a good, uh, good way to put it. What is the difference between intuition and wisdom? Well, I think wisdom would be um, knowing enough to follow your intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Right, follow what you know for sure, right? <laughs> yes. Because, right. <laughs> I mean, you don't know, right? And there's such small voices. So uh, a big thing of wisdom is learning how to hear those voices. And then and then knowing, of course, which ones you should maybe are, are helpful and which aren't. But typically, they're, you know, to follow them is, is the right path. So how do we know the difference? between that voice, that's the authentic voice of the self, and the voice of ego, or the false self. Yeah, well, that would be the wisdom, right? <laughs> that's, that's the wisdom. Right, but I would love to know from you, like, how do we know for sure which voice is the one to, to follow, the one to take actions upon? Well, I, you know, I, I haven't, I'm not sure I've, thought about this but I, i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say experience but i uh, what i'm what what's coming up for me right now valerie is um i know what my choices have cost in the past what they've cost me and what they've cost people around me yeah and so you know what if if something comes up I, I i just go back and i say okay what did it what did it cost the last time i made this choice or the last time i didn't make that choice the last time i didn't follow what i needed to do for myself or the time when i thought what the hell who cares what difference does it make and made that choice and then it really did hurt people that i care about and and so I mean, I, I want to, I want to, I want to invest the most love and caring in my life and in the people around me that I'm capable of. So that's the measure about a decision, even if it's uncomfortable at the time. If I, if I'm convinced that it's going to bring more love into my life, I'll, I'll, I will, um, I'll follow that. Okay, so we're using experience, which is the definition of wisdom, really. Having the experience yeah. to know what's the right thing to do. Yeah, and I'll add, I'll add just a little bit to that too as well, which um, yeah. to, it's, I'm not even, uh, it, it's, this has been, um, that I don't even have a clear picture or answer or way to say this, but I've often found myself in situations where I might have made a decision that, because I was caught up in the in the moment or whatever, that would have cost me or, or hurt me or hurt hurt people I love uh, in a way I, I would not have wanted to have happen. And another presence has worked through me, or become active in that situation and may basically taken over the controls and and again guided me through and and took me someplace and, and took me to a better place let's, let's put it that way i don't right. and you know we're going back actually in this particular thing we're going back to sex but i just think uh the times when um 
uh, again, not nothing. There's nothing wrong with sex, but if I'm in a committed relationship, that's a monogamous relationship that doesn't allow for that, and if I am sleeping around, it's going to it's going to really hurt somebody that I don't want to hurt. Well, it's just really a better thing that I that I don't go there, and yet. You know, how, uh, can I always trust myself in those circumstances? I have found that another part of me, a higher, I'm going to say a higher self or a higher consciousness, or if, if I want to use Christian terms, I could say the Holy Spirit or something, but I, I'm not sure that fits so well. Anyway, nonetheless, takes over. And, and I've heard myself saying things and making choices that I thought, whoa, I didn't know <laughs> I had that, that sort of insight or that sort of wisdom or that sort of self-control or uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, but I... I yeah, this is quite. That's an amazing piece for me. So wisdom isn't always of our own. We don't necessarily own it. It comes from afar as well, and it's there at the time we need it. I love that. Yeah, I call it um, inner power, like inner resources. Those moments where we have those insights of doing the right thing, although mm. there's something in us that's trying to make us do the, you know, quote unquote, wrong thing. I don't know if I believe in right and wrong. I mean, I, I believe in morals and doing things like, like you said about yeah. knowing that certain choices will lead to disaster and self-destruction, but in other choices will lead to the unknown. I like that better than wrong choices. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's inevitable that we just do what we have to do. Um, maybe there's something in us that needs to learn and needs that kind of experience, you know. Now, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, I have, uh, I've redone my life <laughs> several times <laughs> in fairly dramatic fashion. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, learned, learned great lessons. But um, the... Uh, I, I want to get to, to something that, that you had written about in your book. So there were a couple of examples that I kind of really keyed into. And one of them was uh, when you looked in the mirror uh, one morning and you you saw an ancient self or something, or you the question surfaced, who am I that I chose this body? Or there was some, it was something like that. Does that ring a bell? Yes. When I was really young, I had the impression that I had been here before and I was in a different body, um, a female body this time. Yeah. That was the moment. Maybe there was another moment in the book where I looked at myself in the mirror too and saw, uh, but that was later on about uh, going through the conflict about living that life, physical life and uh, wishing for, you know, spiritual life. Yeah. So we... Well, that, certainly the first one rings a bell. So, and then there, I mean, there were a couple of them that I, and, and all that is to say is that there is this deep well of wisdom that, that is way beyond us, way beyond our current incarnation that carries us and guides us and mostly goes unnoticed, but sometimes comes to the surface when we when we really need some specific uh, direction or input. And I, and, you know, back to, um, you know, right and wrong choices and that sort of thing. I mean, and, and uh, making a mess of your life, which as I said, I've. 
Oh, tell me about it. Oh, boy. But that, that has mm. had a deep wisdom in it as well. I mean, there has right. been a yeah. real, when I look back, I mean, I, I've spent I spent years guilting myself and, and shaming myself about some of the stuff. And now when I've, you know, what, 20 years later, able to look back and say, wow, there was some really deep wisdom and... Um, um, I don't know what else to, what else to say about it. Life affirming uh, choice that was made in the midst of all that chaos and uh, disruption. And I to these to, uh, it's taken me all, all this time, but I'm getting to the point where I'm able to really commend myself for being that person that created a whole lot of um, shit for a whole lot of people. And in the long run, turned out to be a, a blessing. That, that's a tough one. Yes, but I know. believe that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to accept, right? But that's, uh, that's how life is. I, I really believe that. I think a lot of people are not ready yet to address their traumas in a clinical way, uh, psychotherapy, or I don't know, even dance. They need experience, hardcore experience, to learn those mm-hmm. lessons. Uh, you just mentioned now a reincarnation. Do you believe in life after death? Uh, I'll say yes. And that's like saying, do you believe in God? I mean, <laughs> what did I, what did I uh-huh. just say? I mean, really. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what would you say? Would you say it's a belief or just you know what you really don't know? Uh, I haven't had any specific uh, explicit experiences of another life. So, um, I mean, maybe, for example, you looked in the mirror and you saw you had that sense of you were here before. And I don't know that there's anything that really speaks to me of that. Although, although what, I, what, I, what I'm quite sure of is that uh, I have... Um, my soul's path and direction was certainly set for me when I came into this world. So, uh, and, and, the, and the perspective and wisdom that I bring to it comes from elsewhere. And I actually link a, link a whole lot of it up to Jesus and, um, and some of this, yeah. And um, so there's that piece. And, um, you know, I've heard other people have said things about it, about me and, you know, my past and whatnot. I, I mean, I, and, you know, I've had readings and, and it's, always, it's been good information. It's been helpful information. I've received it. And so, yeah, I, I really believe that the life of the spirit is ongoing. And um, whatever is in me that is worth worthwhile came from before and will continue after. I don't know, that's probably all I can say. Yes, mind continuation, right. If you were to translate the word well-being into another word, what would that be? Uh, well, you know, for, first of all, of course, that's something you've done a lot of work on and it's, I've really admired uh, the uh, probing and that you've done with that and so um, and uh, I think the one of the key pieces there is uh, 
the commitment you've made to to that search. So I mean that's that's um, that's terrific. How would I define well being? Uh, I mean I've got to say being in loving relationships, and and if it's not a maybe a relationship to a person, it's it's maybe just to the big bigger wilder wider world. I don't know, but I mean love has to be. I can't see. I wouldn't want to be anywhere without uh, deep love, and the deep love is what keeps me committed to my path. Yeah, yes, yes, a thousand times to that. Mm-hmm. What kinds of people do you help, um, and how do you help them, Aidan? Well, I'm a social worker. I work in the inner city, and my clients are mental health clients that are living on government assistance and that sort of thing. So... And that's important to me and value, and 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 that will be coming to an end. Um, I'm at the age where I can retire. Uh, I haven't because I still like my work and I still care about the people I'm working with. But the time will come. What I do, I, I really value my the teaching I do with dance, and what I uh, one of the things that I think is distinctive that I bring and that I put a lot of focus on is um, the, the humanizing touch the touches that, that, that we come to dance. So for uh, tango's interesting in that the stages of engagement are ritualized. So for example, you do the eye contact across the room, the cabaseo, and you, and you approach and you hold out your hand and you take your hand and then you, uh, fold into this embrace and and so then I, I break that down and I say what does it mean to look into another person's eyes and um, I mean I had somebody just recently who uh, actually quite quite interestingly uh, most recently I've had about half a dozen people come to my lessons um, who have gone just gone through grief experiences and they've lost a loved one so they're coming to uh, learn how to open up again and um, so I, I say something like, you know, when you approach your partner, look into their eyes and see them for who they are. And what does it mean to be, you know, just looked at? And, and what are we saying with our gaze? And what do we want to, how do we want to be seen? And so those little, um, I mean, call them little, I don't think they're little, they're, they're, they're huge. They're, they're I mean, yeah. um, but I, but I, I focus on that, and I. Oh, what does it mean to take somebody's hand? This isn't just a, a dance maneuver, and you don't just kind of run up to somebody, grab onto them, and, and kind of kick into high gear. Uh, I mean, you're entering a sacred space to allow yourself to open yourself up, and and step into somebody else's open space as well, uh, with that. Uh, uh, vulnerability is is really is a really sacred uh, journey, and we need to treat it with uh, with uh, the uh, utmost intensity and 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 uh, integrity and um, and gentleness. So um, that's how I think I help. That's some of the ways I work at helping people. Sounds spiritual and meaningful to me. Thank you so much for um, your contribution to well-being in the world. What are three things about life you know for sure? 
I love my kids. I know. <laughs> you can't yeah. be. Uh, oh God, you got me on this one now. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know that was anyway. That that's that's been kind of one of the rocks. Uh, that's what kind of started me on my journey, and uh, I just. You know, uh, going back to the trauma piece, and you're saying you had to have kind of this uh, knock on the side of the head experience to, to get your attention or to shake things loose, you know. So that um, when my kids came along, uh, woof, uh, I said, uh, You're I making said to me myself, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I said, I'm not um, going to let what happened to me happen to them. So, uh, and um, I didn't. I didn't even know what what I was afraid of at the time, or what I was thinking of. I just knew that uh, something had to change. And I was in a situation. I was in a relationship where there where there wasn't any love. Um, well, I, I I don't want to put it that starkly, but um, where it had, as I had described it earlier, I had I had insulated myself from um, knowing what to do. Uh, with my past, but also my present, you know, in terms of feelings and and whatever. And I, I just thought, you know, I am actually, to be honest, Valerie, I said, uh, I, I picked up to myself, I never said it, but I, looking back, I realized that's what it was. I am not a safe person right now. I am not in a place where I can trust myself to act appropriately and act in a loving, caring um respectful protective way for my for my kids and the love hit me so strong that i just i just like the whole rest of my life had to just get dismantled and uh and trashed right then it's like i've got to start this over and and, and build from the ground up and i want to be uh i don't want to repeat mistakes i want to be the person um that i need to be to um to care for these uh, uh, beautiful uh, gifts. <laughs> yes, they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of that that started the unraveling, uh, on some respects. But then it it of course led to the re the rebuilding and the and the reweaving and the the learning and the to where you know I've been I'm kind of damn proud of how they've grown up and and the part that I've had to play in that. So. That's really great. I love the way you have integrated the darkness and the light to transform your life and become mm. this new person mm. who is filled with love and awareness. Yeah. So the second thing you know for sure about life. Okay. Oh, um... Oh, uh, well, I'm going <laughs> you know what, my learning for the last while has been body-based. So, I mean, you've done this, you've been in your body for so long. And no, mind you, you've had to learn when, you know, when was, what was, what was respectful and what was uh, overdone and what was, you know, um, ignored or neglected. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I've, I've, to the at the point where anything I do, uh, any knowing or any engagement, I want to be able to feel it in my body. So that's, and and I tie this in with uh, my 
I guess, Christian faith, which is uh, um, that spirit and flesh are, are together, are one, and that's where God is. That's right. where we experience whatever we're to experience about the divine. It's It's got to be in that meeting place, that joining place. So I, I work with that. What else do I know about life? Um, I don't know, not a whole lot. <laughs> mm, oh, you said a whole a lot today. So uh, where can we find more information about you, your work, um, your books and projects, Aiden? I'm going to say, so I'm going to say something just, this is a little aside right now. <laughs> yeah. Because you talk about what is what is humanizing and what is, so when you say, so the little thing like when you say my name, I love the way you say my name and I love to hear that. And I'm just thinking that <laughs> that's just a little example of how we affirm each other. You know, just how we, we just, we just notice it. And that's again, back to the dance and back to the whatever. But I mean, that's what our, that's what I think the whole, this whole business is about, about people is how we can just sit and listen and affirm and recognize and, and how can my book, uh, my <laughs> yeah. everything. Um, so I have uh, the, the website I'm working with. The easiest one to remember is tangotouch.ca. But I haven't been, I haven't posted on there for a long time. I, I write a weekly blog. So the one I'm posting on is called dancingwithpresence.com. And so that's that's where I've been posting the last, uh, and that it'll have whatever else has my email address and uh, anything else you want from there. So Dancing with Presence is uh, where I am, basically. Great. I'll have that information on my website, too, on the podcast page. It has been a... Ah, I mean, I could use words like meaningful, spiritual, but it's just... Um, mm just real just um yeah has been a very uh, real experience talking to you i felt a lot of the things you said went into my heart that's where we meet god thank you so much well thank you and thank you for this opportunity and thank you for the work that you're doing too as well i mean the what you've taken on i mean it's not not just this interviewing thing but i mean what I've read about your yeah. like, uh, your journey in your book, and uh, it's fabulous. It, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, what are words, right? So, but um, it res it resonates. Yeah, it really resonates. Thank you, Wade. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Aiden, please visit his website, dancingwithpresence.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, and Terry Clayton. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.